turn together to the book of Jeremiah. This morning, our text that we will be using is Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 3 through 5, as we begin to speak about what it means to stand for life. The prophet Jeremiah was never afraid to proclaim God's truth to a hostile government and culture. But it is also something that was proclaimed to and needs to continue to be proclaimed to the church that it would not wander from the path of God. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Word, the Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient for us. And the Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Jeremiah, chapter 22. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask, O Lord, that you would remind us from your word of your great love for life, of your sovereignty over each and every life in the universe. And Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom, give us strength, equip us as we need, O Lord, to be ambassadors of your truth. This we ask. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are continuing now in our series about Christian living in a post-Christian world. And perhaps as we have been going through the various uh, topics, you have even thought to yourself, what does it mean to be a post-Christian world? Does that mean there are no more Christians? Does that mean that all hope is lost? No, I want to remind you that living in a post-Christian world is living in a world after the period of time in which the Bible and the church and God's law were taken as a given or a standard. Now, does that mean that a hundred years ago everyone obeyed God's law? Of course not. Does that mean that if we could just go back far enough, we would find the perfect society? Of course not. 
But what it means is today, the intellectual underpinnings of our society actively reject God and His law. And so I want you, after a fashion, to think about it as almost like a giant reset button. And that is that we now live in a world that looks much more like the world that the apostles lived in than that the Westminster divines lived in. We live in a world that is much more like the New Testament than the history books. It is a going back to New Testament days in which the church has the opportunity through living out the gospel in their lives and in their community to show the difference that Jesus makes. In each of our lives, in our families, in our businesses, and in our communities. We have looked in the past at what it means to be salt and light. We saw last week how important it is to guard our language and to watch our tongues. Two weeks ago we looked at the difficult task of respecting authorities. And today we look at perhaps the starkest difference between the church and the world around the church. And that is upon the issue of life. And this is an important issue. It's an important issue for the church itself. This is not a sermon simply so that we can shake our fists at the bad people out there. Because I have to tell you that in the church around the world today in the 21st century, the battle for life is being lost. Churches are afraid to preach on this subject. Churches are afraid to have prayer meetings on this subject. They're lackadaisical in their support for pregnancy help centers and crisis pregnancy centers, for supporting adoption, for standing with the powerless. So we must remember that it begins with us. It begins in our homes. It begins in our lives. And so this morning I would like us to look at three things about life as viewed by the Lord. The first thing that we will see is the God of life. That it is God Himself who is the author of life. That's a controversial statement in and of itself. If you go to the mall and say that, people will shake their heads at you. If you go to a university and say that, they might laugh at you and mock you. The second thing that we will see is is that there are now currently attacks on life. And then the third thing that we will see is that God has given a call to you and to me to protect life. The God of life attacks on life and the call to protect life. Let's begin then with the God of life. Who is God? Where does life come from? Well, the scripture teaches us that life proceeds from God. That everything that is in existence was created by God. But very specifically, that humanity, man and woman, our first father and first mother, Adam and Eve, were formed by God. Adam formed from the dust of the ground with the breath of life breathed into his nostrils. Now think about that. God purposefully took something not only that was void of life, but that we consider impossible to get life from. Dust. Dirt. And he formed Adam. 
And then he formed Eve from the side of Adam. God is the giver and the beginner of all life. But more than that, we have to remember that all of us come from our first father. It seems to me that so many of the problems, wars, and difficulties in our world would be either solved or at least helped by one simple truth. That we all share a common humanity. That we are all the same. We are all created by God. This was the apologetic of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, he says that God is the one who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation on mankind to live on all the face of the earth. You see, God is the one who creates all races, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. God is also the one who gives life purpose, doesn't He? He created Adam and He put him in the garden to work. He gives each and every one of His creation purpose and meaning in life. The problem is, is that our world is in rebellion against this. Once upon a time, there was a story that other gods created life. Other false, even wicked gods. And there were errors that came from that. But now you see, we have descended to a new low. Intellectually, we think we have gone to new heights. But we have gone to the point where now we do not even posit fanciful stories about thunder and lightning giving birth from the clouds. Or mountains and rivers copulating. No, now we say that everything came from nothing. That everything that has meaning came from meaninglessness. That logic comes from irrationality. That we just don't really know. And what we do is we just keep pushing back in time, back in time, back in time, and describing bigger and bigger bangs, and we think somehow the epistemological problem goes away. And it doesn't. I was listening yesterday to a podcast from someone that I highly recommend to you, an apologetic minister, Ravi Zacharias. And he was lamenting this downward spiral of intellectual activity till we get to the point where not just universities, but significant leading universities have conferences on topics like, what does it mean to be human? Because they don't know. We don't even know what it means to be a person as opposed to a plant or a dog or a bug. Or now, a computer. We don't know the difference because we have given up purpose and rationality. Life not only proceeds from God, it is also precious to God. We have to remember that every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person is, in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. God formed our inward parts and knitted us together in our mother's womb. Wonderful are the works of the Lord, and our soul should know it well. Now, what does that mean? What I want you to do, 
Close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to imagine in your mind the person who is worst to you. The person that you dislike the most. The person who annoys you when you hear they might be somewhere near in the vicinity. And then remember that that person is created in the image of God. That person has worth. That person is fearfully and wonderfully made. Because, you see, it is easy to say, well, life is good only for you and you and you and not you and not you. And as soon as we begin to make value judgments about who is worthy of life, we lose the picture. We think we are in charge and not God. That's the first step to destruction. God has valued life. And once again, the world is in rebellion against this. Everywhere we go, people are trying to quantify life. Well, this person isn't really worthy of life because they only have 80% of their physical body capable of moving and doing things. Oh, this person only has this much of a mental capacity, so they're not worthy of life. Oh, this person has this disability. Or this person lives in that place. But you see, God says that all life has value. And it's for this reason that God protects life. Because you see, death itself is the result of rebellion against God. This is something else we need to understand. See, we think death is natural. We even say that when someone dies, don't we? They died sometimes of natural causes. But I'm here to tell you that death is completely unnatural. Just because it's what we see all the time, just because it is all around us, just because we cannot escape it, does not mean that it is natural or that it is the way the world is supposed to be. It is an interruption into creation. It is a breaking down of what God has made. It is wrong, and it will be defeated. You see, we have to remember that death comes from sin, and as a result, it is a result of judgment, and that judgment belongs to the Lord. Death, every death, is by God's appointment. Hebrews says in chapter 9, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that, the judgment. Until the day the Lord chooses to call you, you are immortal. He knows not just every hair on your head. He knows every second of your life. God is completely sovereign. And throughout the scriptures we see that he has shown this in his prohibition against murder. From the very beginning, in judging Cain. And then even in judging Cain, in saying that others should not kill Cain. And then, of course, after the flood, speaking to Noah, saying, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In Genesis chapter 9. And then, of course, in the Ten Commandments, we have the command, You shall not murder. God follows up on his commands. You see, when Israel was established as a state, God set up cities of refuge. 
to cut down on vengeance deaths. You see, God is the one who is sovereign over life. And He takes practical measures to show it to us. It's even found in the little details of life. Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes you can see God in creation easier in a small flower or in a drop of water than you can in a huge storm. And this is true also in this. You see, God goes to such extents that when He sets Israel up as a a state, He gives them a specific law about what their roofs should look like. He says, when you build roofs, you have to build what's essentially a fence around the border of it. Because you see, in those days, your roof was flat. Israel doesn't have to worry about snow. And so they'd have flat roofs and they would use it as an extra living area. But the problem is, you don't want the kids or someone who's asleep or someone who's not paying attention to wander near the edge of the roof and fall off. And so God says, I'm so concerned about life. If you're going to build a roof, you must build protection. Even something as small as that, God's showing He's concerned about life. The problem is that our society today does not share that concern. We may think at times that America is amongst the most civilized, most advanced, most powerful nations and civilizations on the earth. But we are also among the most wicked. First and foremost, we see this in attacks upon the young and especially as relates to children. We are a civilized society that wants everyone to live good lives and we want to make sure everyone not only has food, but everyone has cable TV and a cell phone. Except for every single year, 1.1 million children are murdered in the womb. That is more than four times the population of Katy, Texas. In less than a decade, it surpasses the population of Houston. Since 1972, when men robed in black legislated murder from the bench, 54 million children have been killed. Let me give you just a small perspective on that. That is more than the population of Texas and Oklahoma, and Louisiana, and Mississippi, and Alabama, and Georgia, combined. Does that give you pause? Does that give you pause about your pride in our nation? Does that energize you? Does that fill you with horror and with anger? It should. Now the statistics tell us that one in every four pregnancies ends in an abortion. And while 20% of these abortions occur with teen mothers, now fully 60% of abortions occur in which the woman already has children. Now, before we move quickly to judge women or to be involved in this issue, we must understand that 
A generation of women now and of men have grown up thinking that this is ordinary and easy and simple. We don't even describe fetuses anymore as babies. We don't even use the term fetuses very often. In medical terminology, they're called tissue or blobs of flesh. They're described in terms that are parasitic. And you cannot underestimate that intellectual attack. If we are to change the views of America, we will not do it beginning by attacks on doctors and on women. We will do it upon standing for God's truth and explaining to American society what is involved in an abortion. I think perhaps the greatest thing that has happened to discourage abortion in the last 25 years is the development of the 3D sonogram. Because when you see a small baby at even 15 or 20 or 25 weeks sucking its thumb, moving around, and it looks realistic, you can't possibly help but question what society is telling you. I want to also encourage you that we are making progress on this front. Now is not the time to grow weary. 1.1 million abortions sounds horrific, and it is, but do you realize that is down from 1.6 million in past years? We're making progress. But it is not just abortion where life is attacked. Young children are also sold into slavery around the globe, and yes, even here in America. There is a thriving slave trade in young women that occurs throughout the world and even here in America. And we must stand against it, both with our words and with our actions. We must be ready to stand in the gap, to stand as protectors, to stand with resources, to be encouragers, and to help in this instance. Then, of course, there is the great scourge of abuse that occurs throughout our land. And there, certainly, it is not just out there somewhere. It occurs within our churches. And we must take measures to make sure that this does not happen. We must strive with all of our strength and power and prayer and faith to attack this great scourge. But it's not just the young who are under attack. It's also the elderly. You'll notice when Jeremiah says that we are to do no wrong and to do no violence, he lays out three categories of people. The resident alien, the orphan or the fatherless, and the widow. And in some way we could think of this as the three most vulnerable sections of society. The orphan, the child, the one who is treated as an orphan, but also the widow, those who are elderly. You know as well as I do that euthanasia is on the rise in the world and here in America. I can remember when I was growing up in high school, it was a scandalous shock to speak of Dr. Death, Jack Kervorkian. Now he's a hero. States have passed legislation putting into law what he did and was prosecuted for. You see, we look at life and we say, well, this person really is too old to be of any real use. They're just a drain on society. And so therefore we choose 
death for them. This is wrong. Because again, we are not valuing what God values. It's not just a tax on the young and a tax on the elderly. It's also a tax on the helpless. Jeremiah speaks about the alien and reminds Israel that they were once the alien. Abraham described himself as an alien in a strange land. Israel was told to be good to the alien because you were once aliens in Egypt. And over and over again, the Bible spreads this before us. This is not something that is a one-verse truth. More than 90 times in the Bible, it speaks of protecting orphans. More than 50 times it speaks of protecting widows. In Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. James tells us in chapter 1 that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is not memorizing Bible verses, is not having a wonderful apologetic method. It is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Do you understand that calling upon your life? Are you visiting orphans and widows? Are you considering adoption? Are you standing against the great lie in our society that there are certain people that have no value and they can be cast aside? We've come to a point where the horrors that we would not even have imagined would have been possible are being spoken in public. After all, it is one thing to speak about abortions or about those who are terminally ill. But now there is a movement afoot in England and it has adherents here in America in which academics are beginning to argue that parents should be able to have their baby killed if it turns out to be disabled or they don't want it. In an article in England entitled, After Birth Abortion, Why Should the Baby Live? The following things are written. The moral status of an infant is equivalent to that of a fetus in the sense that both lack those properties that justify the attribution of a right to life in the individual. We take person to mean an individual who is capable of attributing to their own existence at some basic value such that being deprived of this existence represents a loss. And there is a difference between actual persons and potential persons, the academics say. There is an argument that parents should be able to have their baby killed if it turned out to be disabled without their knowing before birth. Because to bring up such children might be, quote, an unbearable burden on the family and on society as a whole. And they prefer to use the phrase after birth abortion rather than infanticide. Sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? What can we do? What we must do is we must call, we must answer God's call to protect life. If babies represent such a burden on society, then the church must take care of babies. If the elderly represents such a burden on society, then the church must come alongside and take care of the elderly. I've said to you many times that the only reason that we have hospitals in the world today is because the church invented them. 
Sick people were a burden on society and were left to die. And the church stood against everyone and said, no, we will not have that. We will use our own resources, we will use our own time, we will use our own sweat and tears, and we will care for these people. Are you willing to answer that call in the 21st century? Because you see, if we do, we're answering the call of the Lord, and it shows how different God's people are from those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God gives us a call to protect life. It begins in His Word. Look at our passage here this morning. In Jeremiah 22 and verse 3, Thus says the Lord. That's not an option. When God says this, it is a declarative statement. It is to remind us that He is in charge and He is the one giving the orders to the church. The church is not a democracy. And so God says that life is precious in my sight. And you are to do no harm. You are to do justice and you are to do righteousness. And so you have to understand here that it is not only God's word that comes forward. We can go throughout the scriptures and find many passages where God in his word says, I formed you in the womb in Jeremiah 1. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Psalm 127. That it is the wicked and the godless that pour out innocent blood, the blood of their own sons and daughters. Psalm 106. And that we are called not to worship the Lord in that way by abominable abominable things. Deuteronomy 12. But rather, God not only says it, He tells us we must act. Do you see that in verse 3? Thus says the Lord. What's the next word? Do. Do justice and righteousness. Don't just be. Don't just think. Do both of those things. But do. We must act. We must be involved. And this can take many Forms. You can volunteer and help at a pregnancy center. You can visit people in nursing homes who are hurting. You can stand and counsel people outside abortion clinics. You can give to worthy causes. You can write articles and letters. You can speak to your neighbors, friends, and families about the biblical truths of life. You see, this can even be done by children. Because you see, young people, you have friends that don't think everyone is equal. That don't think everyone is made in the image of God. That don't think everyone is good and beautiful. And when you stand against teasing, stand against taunting, stand against vindictive attacks. That is the beginning of the place to stand for life. God also gives us a clear warning here in verses 4 and 5. He says, This is the thing to do that is just. It is to deliver others. But he says here in verse 4, For if you will indeed obey this word 
And the language there is very strong. Be careful and listen to me, God says. If you will do justice, if you will do righteousness, if you will deliver the helpless, you must do this. It's a very serious warning. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, says God. Reminding us that it is a covenantal obligation This is the same phrase that is used in Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom he could swear, he swore by himself. This is a very clear and serious warning to us. And the warning is that if we will not obey these words, this house shall become a desolation. It's as simple as this. Have you ever found yourself thinking about abortion in these terms? That if we don't do something about abortion, God is going to judge us? I would encourage you to think about it perhaps in these terms. Because we are a wicked nation obsessed with self and not helping others, abortion is a judgment on us. Just like the ancient, wicked, pagan societies. We kill our young. We kill our old. We rebel against God. But the hope and the glory is that the church is not America. The church is not England. The church is not Europe. The church is the city on a hill set in the midst of a land declaring the truth and standing for the truth of God's word with respect to life. And the promise then comes to us that if we indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. And the king of kings rules over his church. This is the crucial and fundamental issue of our day. And we as the church must enter into this battle. And every time we care for those who are sick, every time we help those who have challenges physically or mentally, every time we stand for the young and stand for the old and we declare that every person has value in God's sight as made in His image, we are standing on Jesus' ground. We're saying, it might not be natural, It wouldn't be where I would begin. But God tells me this. And He's changed me. And He's renewed my mind. And He's given me a heart that's bursting with love beyond anything I could imagine. I don't know why I'm even capable of doing this. And you see, then in the end, we not only can help preserve life, but it becomes a powerful witness and testimony to the power of God to change the hearts of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask this morning, Lord, that You would give us strength. For Lord, we are so prone to either despair or to be angry 
beyond what we ought. Lord, give us patience. Give us trust in You. And give us perseverance, O Lord, to stand and declare Your truth in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our whole society. You alone, O Lord, are sovereign, and You are the Lord of life. This we ask in the name of He who is life, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.